G'day friends, Jamin here. A quick reminder about the upcoming live events in Melbourne and Brisbane, Unhindered, How to Be Free from Insecurity Before You Are 40. You can check out the details on the events tab of my website, jaminfraser.com. Tickets still available the 30th of October in Melbourne and the 1st of November in Brisbane. Hope to see you there. You're listening to The Insecurity Project, solving the insecurity problem at a global level. This podcast is a mixture of interviews, coaching sessions, and personal development content. You'll hear me chat with experts, authors, speakers, and individuals who've gone on to do great things in their life as a result of working through their insecurity. You'll hear brave souls being willing to have a live coaching demonstration recorded where they work through their insecurity. And you'll hear 10 Minute Tuesday, which is a chance for me to deliver high quality personal development content to help you on your journey. I hope you find it useful. Now on to today's show. G'day folks, Jamin here. You're on the Insecurity Project podcast. I have the privilege of having a conversation with Dr. Ben Cavosso today. Ben is a high performance coach with 28 years experience. He's the author of Life CEO, which is a book about taking charge of your life and starting to do your life's work, not your busy work. Ben doesn't believe in work-life balance, but believes in life alignment, which we'll hear more about. Ben, welcome to the show. It's a real treat having you on today. Mate, so excited to be on the, on the show this morning, Jamin. Really, really looking forward to our chat. So, so tell yeah. us about the book, Life CEO. Give us a bit of a rundown on what the, the key idea of that book is. Yeah, well, I'll start with the name because, um, you know, I truly believe that we are responsible for our lives. And uh, a CEO ultimately has responsibility for the company. He's given direction by a board, but, you know, he is he, ultimately responsible. We see that in the media right now. CEOs are, are uh, getting pinged for all sorts of things and having to resign. <clears throat> in lots of different organisations and it's, it's kind of the same for our life. We are truly in charge. Yeah. And so the book is really a, a, outlines a five-step model. Uh, the beginning of the model is, of course, get clear on your purpose, get clear on what's really, really important. What is the direction of your life? Now, a CEO of any company kind of does that partly for himself, but obviously he consults with the board to determine, you know, where, do, where are we taking this company? What is the direction of it? So start with purpose. The second is plans. The CEO then sits down once he's clear on what the company purpose is and outlines some plans for the year. He decides, you know, where is the company going to go and how is it going to get there? He then determines the culture, the personality of the company. What kind of, what kind of character, what kind of cultural ethos is this company going to have? And importantly for us, that's something that we can do. Uh, clients often say to me, you know, I just want to be the real me. And... And I go, well, the real you can be anything. You can be anything that you want. The best example I've got of that is um, uh, if you, many of us have, may have four-wheel drives that have got a little selector dial. You know, when you first start the car up, the dial is on road setting, and that's the default mode of the car. But if you went to the, out to the snow, you could turn the dial to snow setting. Or if you're going down a hill, down hill setting, or across rocks on rock setting, you can change the character of the car, how it behaves, to suit the environment. So personality is something that is in your control. So who I am right now with you on this call is different to who I was with the kids this morning, which is a different person when I'm out running, which is a different person when I'm with coaching clients. So I turn the dial to suit who I need to be in that moment. 
So third step to personality. Fourth step, importantly, is productivity. Because we can do the first three steps in the chair. We can talk about purpose and do some planning and, you know, think about the kind of personality we need to have. But nothing in the world changes until we actually become productive. Not busy, but productive. Um, and yeah. so this is where we do some stuff. This is where we go out and make a difference in the world. And then the, the fifth step, of course, is profit. Ultimately, uh, any CEO running a company, the company needs to be profitable. And yes, I'm talking about money, but I'm also talking about profitable in your relationships and profitable in your health. Um, the, the, after all the expenditure of assets, whether it be time or money or energy or sanity, uh, for all the expenditure of those assets, at the end of a week, month or year, is your life better? Is your relationship better? Is your health better? Uh, is your bank account better? Is your career better? And not just for you, but as we know for any company, companies are not only just wanting to make a, a, a bottom line profit, but they're also wanting to generally leave the world a better place. Uh, and so not only are you better at the end of the year, but is the world better for what you've done? Uh, so there are the five steps. Purpose drives your plans, which then drives your personality, which leads to productivity and eventually profit in your life. That's such a sharp metaphor. I mean, I love metaphor and I love thinking about metaphor as the language of the subconscious. And mm. uh, to have an empowering metaphor just gives us access to so, so much resourcefulness and creativity internally and helps us know how to be. So just that, that metaphor of going, right, I'm going to run my own life like I am the CEO of a company. It's, it's yeah. extraordinary. It's to go, okay, I'm going to bring really sharp leadership that ultimately... It turns into a bottom line profit um, rather than just existing or just kind of surviving. Yeah, the role of a CEO is to, to make this work, make it, to optimise it to work as well as possible. So I think mm. that's such a fantastic concept. Mm. Uh, can, you, can you tell us about the, the um, how did you arrive at that concept for a book? Do you remember the, the process or how that idea came to you? I, um, when I sat down to write the book, I, there were so many aspects to what I was bringing to my coaching, but they, they were, there wasn't a clear structure to it. And uh, a lot of my coaching is, it comes out of a stack of journals. So there's, um, uh, you can get them at any, uh, any um, good news agency, as they say. Um, these red Spirax notebooks, I don't know if you've ever seen them, they're A4, they're black, and they've got these little red corners and a red spine on them. Well, for years, for probably the last 20 years, I've taken all of those books to my seminars, workshops. You know, if I was listening to a podcast, if I was watching something online, I'd get my red Spirax out and I'd take notes in the Spirax. And so I've got a stack of them on my shelf that is accumulation of all the learnings that I've had probably for the last 20 years. And so when it came to writing the book, uh, I, I literally sat down and, and went through the Spiraxes, all of them, and created a mind map of, you know, how does this thing that I wrote in that book, how does that fit in to a map of um, being the best you? And as I started to chunk it, it sort of was coming into these chunks about, you know, getting clear on what's really important. And then there was this chunk about productivity 
actually making sure that when you actually do something that it gets done, how can you be more productive? Um, there was a whole section on goal setting, on, on setting plans. And of course, there was a huge section on mindset, on, on determining your, your personal culture, your ethos, you know, who you be. And so these kind of chunks started coming down until eventually there were these five chunks. Uh, and when I looked at the chunks, um, I, I was looking at, you know, how, what sort of order they go into. And then, uh, and that was it. It was done. So I, I knew the model of how I was going to do the book, but the name of the book, that I hadn't worked out. And yeah, so right. one day I was just sitting down and I was throwing a heap of names around and uh, I think it might have even been my wife. She said, so, you know, what would be, what would be your ideal clients? And oh, I said, you know, I just... Great ideas. Yeah, they're great ideas. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I'd love to be coaching CEOs, you know, because they have such an influence, not just in their own lives, but they have an influence right down through the rest of the team. Imagine making a shift in CEOs of companies, in leaders of companies, uh, and the effect that may have downstream. And um, I went, yeah, CEO. Like, this stuff, it's kind of almost what a CEO does, isn't it? Like, yeah, okay. Well, what about life, CEO? And then uh, that was the name of the book. Uh, and that was how the model kind of came about. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. And so curious around the mindset part of the whole model because I'd imagine that there are some people when they kind of get the fact that, okay, I'm going to be the CEO of my own life. Do you encounter people that kind of go, well, do I have what it takes to be the CEO of my own life? Like, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned before around having chief validators, often as we grow up, someone else is the CEO of our own life. Like, people often get into patterns where someone else is setting the culture, someone else is determining the value, someone else is setting the direction and the purpose, and they end up surviving and serving someone else's agenda. Um, mm. You know, I love, you know, all stats are made up. But, <laughs> so I don't know where I came up with this stat, but uh, it seems somewhat accurate that, you know, probably less than 5% of the world's population are really clear about what they want and are actively going after it. And the other 95% are not clear about what they want and just end up helping the 5% get what they want. Um, mm. So I'm curious about what you find in terms of clients when they are, they, they encounter limiting beliefs about their capacity to, to actually effectively be their own CEO. Um, do, you, do you face that issue with people often? A lot. And it, and it really yeah. comes down from um, the belief that, that their life is outside of their control, that, you yeah. know, that yeah. uh, it's the government, it's my wife, you know, it's my boss, it's the kids, it's, you know, it, it, it's the teachers at school. You know, if only you knew, if only you knew how tough my life is because of, you know, what's happened to me and the external forces that are being applied to me, no wonder I can't have my life the way I want it to be. It's that kind of mindset that that causes people to, to be stuck. And we all get stuck. The difference is between a successful and unsuccessful person is a successful person recognises they're stuck. They recognise they're doing some behaviour that's kind of keeping them cycling, not getting what they really want. They get some resources outside of themselves. They get a coach. Or they watch a, a, a clip on TV, or they attend a seminar, or they grab themselves a book. They get some resources that empower them to, to not only understand the steps they need to take, the productivity steps, but also the personality they need to be, to step back over the line and move forward again and get out of stuck. 
the unsuccessful person just sits there stuck and not recognising they're stuck and blaming the world outside of themselves. Um, I, I think that, you know, I don't think you're too far off that stat, you know. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, you know, I look at many clients that come to me and in the beginning they're coming because they believe that their circumstance is outside of their control. Yeah, absolutely. Such a such a key distinction, though, the, the awareness piece around, oh, my goodness, I'm stuck. Because, you know, lots of them are stuck and they just, they, they're existing as though they're not. This is just the norm. This is just how life is. Um, you know, the, the saying, it is what it is, is such a hilarious take on life as though you have no control over it. You know, it's just, mm. it is what it is. Like, well, hang on. What if it's not what it is? Or if it only is what it is, because that's the story you're telling about it. Because five people all looking at the same thing are all telling a very different story about what that what what can happen, uh, what this means, and what's going to happen next. So it's it's so cool when people kind of go, oh, okay, there you go. I am stuck, and I'm somehow responsible for this stuckness. Okay, there's some work to be done to get unstuck. Who can help me get unstuck? And let's make a plan. Yes. So it's exciting when people do that, and you know that's the privilege of the work you and I get to do with people is help them get unstuck. That that responsibility thing can be tricky because I, I, I think you and and certainly I we 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 constantly talk about that you are responsible for your life. Yeah. People go, no, 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 no. That, that I didn't. That car ran into me. No, no. That guy did that to me. That thing happened to me. Uh, I wasn't responsible for that. Uh, no, you were response-able to that. So it's not that, that the thing that happens to you, it's your response to it, that you are in control of. And, you know, we, there's, there's many circumstances. In fact, I'm just trying to think of the book and I'm looking at my bookshelf. I'm pretty sure it is by um, Malcolm Gladwell, one of my favorite authors. And you might be able to help me with what it was. David and Goliath, there it is. Uh, have you read David and Goliath? By Malcolm Gladwell? Yeah. No, he's on a list of books to read. So good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants by Malcolm Gladwell. Well, he gives multiple examples in there of people that have things happen to them yeah. and their response. And he gives multiple examples of the same thing happening to two different people and the two totally different responses. That it wasn't what happened, but it was their response to it that determined the outcome. Um, and we're, we're responsible. We're, we're able to respond. Uh, and we get to choose. I, I, I think of Viktor Frankl, you know, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. I think that is probably the most dramatic example of that idea. And his famous quote is, between stimulus and response, there is a space. Yes. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Mm. And, you know, his incredibly uh, you know, powerful application of that was direct confrontation of Nazi officers where, where his entire, entire you know, millions of his countrymen were living with the illusion of no choice, powerless, victim, I, I didn't choose this, I'm, I'm not responsible for this. And he says, hmm, these, these guys can take every single thing away from me except one last thing. 
my ability to choose how I respond. Mm. So there you go. So they might have more liberty, but I have more freedom. Yes. And I, that just sticks out to me just to go, my goodness, that's the worst story I've ever heard, the worst human suffering I've ever come across, yet that guy still was able to exercise his ability to choose his response. If he can do it, well, then I can do it. So, yeah. And our happiness is, is comes from not those big, gnarly things that sometimes come into our life or our unhappiness. Our unhappiness comes from our, our response to the little things. I was pulling out from my driveway the other day, yesterday morning, and it's kind of a weird intersection just out from my house, and this car was waiting and waiting to, to pull out into the traffic. And there's a little turn into lane that's really simple, and anyone who lives in Mount Eliza kind of knows that you can just pull out into the traffic and it's quite safe because you've got your own little lane to pull into. Anyway, this car was still sitting there. There was a guy waiting behind this car, and I could see straight into where he was, uh, he was sitting at the wheel. And he was screaming and yelling at this car in front to pull out and to move on. Yeah. And he was banging the wheel and he was carrying on. Uh, like, just no big deal, right? But he was choosing his response. Yeah. Imagine setting it. Like, he, I mean, he's obviously just left home. He's heading off to work. And instantly, he's already starting his day in unhappiness. Yeah. Uh, and that's a choice. That lady wasn't making him unhappy. The lady that wasn't pulling out of the traffic. He was he was choosing to do that based on his response. So um, I think we need to be careful because we're we're always responding, and sometimes we there are little things that happen that we respond poorly to or unresourcefully to um, that determine our level of happiness for the day. Yeah, so true. Uh, so we've mentioned. Michael Gladwell, Victor Frankl, are there any other books that come to mind that you found particularly useful in your personal development journey and, and helping you with the mindset piece around uh, you know, believing that you can be the CEO of your own life and helping others believe that's possible for themselves too? Yeah. Well, I'm just I'm having a glance at my bookshelf. Um, wow, so much. I mean, Tony Robbins, you know, uh, his books, you know, Awaken the Giant Within, uh, it was kind of the, the Bible of personal development. Yeah, yeah. So I can still remember the first time I got my yep. hands on that book, and I was scared by it actually. Um, yes. My, well, interesting because my background was, uh, you know, I was in church leadership, and the culture of the Christian world is around. Okay, you know, what do you want is a very dangerous question because it's not about what you want; it's about what God wants for your life. And so. Um, so I'm holding this book going, wow, this feels like a dangerous book. This book feels like this guy's going to take me outside of connection to God and make me a person who has no need for anything outside of myself. And I was quite nervous about it, but uh, I went, well, I've come this far, so I'm going to dive in. And, you know, obviously that's not his take. He's a very, very spiritual man and very much with the idea that everything is spiritual and I love his take on grace, and um, but his his take on responsibility is dynamic as well. Like he doesn't beat around the bush in terms of our responsive our responsibility to creating a compelling life for ourselves. So I agree that that mm. book was profound for me. Yes, yeah, Awaken the Giant. Uh, you know this old, but Mark Victor Hansen, Dare to Win, Future Diary. Uh, I used okay. those for years. Um, they're 
they're kind of they're going on thirty years old. Uh, I, I love Brendan Bouchard. Stuff. I think. Sorry. I think Waking the Giant Within must be thirty years old too. Yeah, it would seven, be too. Seven Habits. Um, well, yeah. Books written a fair time ago that have. My first personal development book, and I'm, I'm just holding it in my hand now, and I actually don't know how I got it. I, do, I just don't know how this book came into my life. Um, but it was my first book, and I think I was probably 17. It's called Going For It by Victor Kayam. Now, Victor Kayam. for it. Yeah. Victor Kayam was the guy who used to do the Remington Shaver ads. I was so impressed. I bought the company. Do you remember those ads? <laughs> no, I don't. It's only before your time, right? So he was this American businessman, a double-breasted suit, and he was on. Yeah. And he goes, I was so impressed. I bought the company. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's Victor Kayan. And going for it was really a book about getting out of your way, you know? Yeah, that it's, right. it's us that, that determine where we're going to go in life, and it's usually us getting in our own way that, that hold us back. So that was my first very first personal development book. Uh, uh, Brendan Bouchard, I said, Motivation Manifesto. That's a newish book. Uh, I, I, I love the work that he's done in that. Um, Seven Habits, Highly Effective People, of course. Uh, great. Um, recently, The One Thing, Gary Keller. Love that. Um, what else have I got up there? The Power of Habit. Um, great book. Charles... I'm not sure how to say his last name. Doohig. Uh, that was a, that was a great recent read. Mel, all Malcolm Gladwell's books, Outliers, Tipping Point, Blink, David and Goliath, uh, fantastic. They're all over my shelf. Um, what else have I got up there that's pretty cool? Um, one of the early books I read around business was Maverick by Ricardo Semler. Um, and, and the unusual workplace that he created uh, around putting back responsibility to giving back responsibility to the workers to determine the future of the company. Uh, that that was a actually that's a book all about responsibility and, and empowering your teams to take responsibility for whether the company fails or succeeds. Okay. Um, so yeah, cool book. Of course, I like Tim Ferriss's stuff. Not not all of it, but but there's there's bits of it that I really really like, um, and I think you know there's some there's some some good stuff to be picked out of reading books about people that do big things. One of one of the books I remember I, I loved it's here on my shelf. In fact, I've got two copies. I've got two copies of Awaken the Giant Within. But um, how to think like a millionaire. Uh, Charles okay. Albert Poissant. Ten of the richest men in the world tell the secrets of their success. Um, uh, again, old book. Um, I'm looking at a picture of the Ferrari on there, and it's like a Ferrari something. Or it looks old. Um, anyway, um, uh, but you know, just they, they, all these guys, they stepped out. You know, they embraced the fear, and and still stepped forward uh, despite the discomfort. And that's part of the reason that they're successful. So reading some of those books, I think, is, um, has been really useful as well. Well, it's, it's so important. I mean, I read a stat, another great stat, who knows how accurate it is. It says it's uh, research-backed. Uh, but the idea that 98, 98% of the thoughts we have today are the exact same ones we had yesterday. So mm. just that, the, the idea that we get in this pattern of thinking 
and it just becomes our life. And to think a new thought is quite rare. And, yes. Uh, and I think that's why books are so important because it just it's input from someone outside of your space who knows something different than you do, who's sharing their own experiences. And it, it can stimulate our mind to think differently. And a different thought can lead to a complete different path. You know, I, I think about the key books just as you have, and I think about the impact they've had on my life. And I, I like you, just, you know, love glancing at my library and seeing the titles there. And I think that book changed this. That book, after I read that, I did this. You know, I can see Tim Ferriss's four-hour workbook, work week. Um, after I read that book the second time, I made a decision with my wife to move to Germany for nine months. That book. Nah. And, you know, so I think uh, seeding your mind with, with new ideas, with expanded thinking, is a massive part of continuing to grow as a human being and continue to believe that you're capable of living a compelling life and to use your metaphor to become an effective life CEO of your own operation. Mm. Yeah. And, and reading books too that uh, piss you off a little bit. You know, that just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that aren't, aren't books that, that are necessarily comfortable. The ones that just challenge you a little bit. Uh, and I think for the for the youngies out there listening to this, don't buy that. Look, listen to the audio if you want, but buy the real book as well and yeah, stick it on your sure. shelf. Uh, one of my well, great mentors, yep. um, Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn. Oh. oh, how can we not talk about Jim Rohn? I mean, he started Tony Robbins, right? He did. Uh, I've, got, I've got, actually, on my shelf there, I'm looking at the cassettes. Uh for the young people listening, that's like this thing you'd put in your car and then go around and get caught up. And um, But, you know, the Jim Rohn cassettes. Uh, Jim Rohn, he, he talked about having a success library. Uh, and just to, to be able to look up at the books and they trigger something that you just can't get if you're flipping through your phone looking at the audio books you might have listened to at some point. Yeah. So buy the hardback. Yeah. yeah. Great. Is there anything else that we need to cover? Any any other thoughts, insights, uh, wisdom that you'd like to share, particularly around helping people do the work around their own beliefs, that they are capable of taking responsibility for their life and and being the kind of person that they want to be? Any ideas? Yeah. Any other thoughts we haven't talked about? Look, probably a big one, uh, and particularly around your work with insecurity, is... Uh, that we often make the mistake of comparing our worst with other people's best. Wow. Yep. We compare our worst moments. We compare, you know, how we look when we first wake up in the mirror, in the morning in the mirror, and we look at ourselves and we happen just to have flipped through Facebook and we see these glamorous models. You know, or, or you know, we're, we're having a go at something and we compare the way we're doing it with how someone that's been doing it for years does it. And in that moment of comparison, we, we take something from ourselves. We take some value from ourselves. Stop doing it. We've got to stop comparing our worst with other people's best. Yeah. And the other thing that I often say, particularly to people that are, that are in business and, and are putting themselves out there, that you don't have to be the best in the world, just the best in their world. 
your clients' world, mm. your team's world. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, Tony Robbins, I mean, he's, he's the ultimate life coach. He's better than me. He's more experienced. Better than me. I don't, I don't have to be as good as Tony Robbins. I just got to be yeah. better than the person that I'm coaching. More knowledgeable. Um, sure. So often we get paralyzed thinking we've got to become the best before we step out. Uh, so I think those two key things, and really underneath that is really this whole idea that, in my mind anyway, that, that and I'm and I'm, mate, I'm I'm not, I'm not sure how your model fits with this, but that I believe that we have we will carry fear for the rest of our lives, and it's not something that we that we want to get rid of. It's something we want to learn to dance with. That discomfort, that awkwardness. That, that insecurity is something that we need to learn to dance with, not to try and get rid of. Um, you know, I talk about joy is, is, is the mixture of nervousness and excitement. You know, if everything was just exciting, that's not joy. That's novelty. You know, you go to the movies and you see a movie and it's, you know, some action kind of shoot 'em up thing and, you know, you're sitting there and it's, oh, it's, oh, oh, it's exciting, you know. But, you walk out from the movie and life's no different. Yeah. You know, you, uh, we, we often seek pure excitement because we want to avoid the nervousness. But joy comes from when we mix nervousness with excitement. It's that first kiss. You know, you're so excited about kissing the girl or the boy, but you were nervous about, you know, whether it was going to work or not. You know, joy comes from when you apply for that job. You're so excited about getting the job, but you're nervous about the interview. Uh, it's that first client. Um, that's where true joy is. Yet people are wandering around trying to get rid of the nervousness, trying to get rid of the fear. The key is to really to dance with it. That's, that's really beautiful, and I, I totally agree with that. I, you know, people ask me, how do I, how do I live with no self doubt? And I say, well, the, the only way to live with no self doubt is lay on the lounge and do nothing with your life um, that's a surefire way but self-doubt is proof that you're on the edge of what's safe known and comfortable so um, mm. the model around overcoming insecurity and the way that I understand it is that uh, it's around overcoming the fear of not being good enough for the level of growth that you're at so that you're able to move forward unhindered into the life that you desire but, but moving forward into the life that you desire will then cause you to encounter new levels of new limits, new uncertainties. And then there'll be new insecurities that arise there. And the same way that you overcame insecurity at the last level of growth will be the way that you overcome it at this level of growth. So it doesn't hinder you from stepping into a bigger, more expansive, more beautiful life. But it it is this dance. And there'll be seasons of kind of feeling stuck, then being free, then being Mm. stuck again, and then being free, rather than, you know, this is a once for all and you you live without any fear. That would be... Stop being human, and and I you know I love the work of um, Steve Kotler and Jamie Wheel Wheat, some one of those two. Um, their yeah. work on flow state and yeah. doing some incredible stuff around that. But but one of the key distinctions around being in flow is to um, is to experience risk. Like if it's not high risk, then you can't experience what you're capable of and that joy that you speak of comes in the midst of the potential for it to go really badly 
and but when you win in those moments, then that is joy. That is the most mm. memorable, meaningful experiences we have as human beings. Mm. Mm. Yeah, oh, I mean, and I'm feeling that for the, for the marathon coming up. Like I'm super yeah. nervous because I've never done it before. Uh, I, but I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited. <laughs> just it's you know it's just been, I've been training for twelve weeks and it's just it's just been building and building and building, uh, yeah. and the marathon itself is going to be the icing on the cake. But I don't say for just the last twelve weeks I've been experiencing joy every week. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I mean I've done, I've done a few marathons and I you know just hearing that um, it brings joy to me. I can I flash back to thinking about standing on the start line of the marathon, the smell of deep heat in the air, you know, oh. the race day has arrived and and your muscles have stored. You, you've got 12, 16, 20 weeks of training in your legs, primed, ready to go. You made it to the start line. And, and you're right, the race is the icing on the cake. It's getting there yeah. and to let yourself go there and experience all that, the, the fruit of all the hard work. It's uh, quite a joyful experience. And then yeah, the emotion of, the various levels of emotion throughout that race. Some parts are easy, some parts are hard. Sometimes you think I can't do it, then you push through, and you know the, the joy of completing that. Um, well, you know, I think that's the, the great thing about a marathon is that yeah, the stats say to run beyond 35 or 37 k is very unnatural. And so, to complete a marathon, you have to do something spectacular. You have to do something that doesn't make sense to your body and is beyond natural limits that find out what you're really capable of. Mm. Now, you're, just describing that start, that, that, you're just describing that start line. Like, it, just, it got my heart started to race straight away. <laughs> 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 Me too, I'm there. Oh, boy, it's, it's, it's one of life's great, joyful experiences. Mm. <laughs> race morning, couple of coffees, deep, deep heat. Right. The fresh running shoes, the, the race kit, the pin the bat, the yeah. on and <laughs> the tension, the drama, the atmosphere. Mm. So, oh, I love it. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Great, great place to end the conversation. It's uh, it's been such a treat talking to you, Ben. Where where can people find you if they're interested in finding out more about your book and some of the work that you're doing? Where do you hang out online? Look, the easiest spot to go is. Um, if you want to make it simple, go to lifeceo.com. Uh, that'll take you to, yeah, that'll take you to my book page, but um, it's also got access on that page. You've got access to all my other resources. There's a heap of stuff there. There's a cool Life CEO scorecard where you can just get in there and score yourself on how well you're doing around purpose and planning, how well you're doing around controlling personality and uh, and being productive and, uh, you know, in the end, of course, making a profit. So that score, scorecard's really cool. Uh, there's some other free resources there. There's a great um, uh, audio that I put together. Um, it's called Time for You, which is okay. um, just some really simple coaching concepts that are really simple to implement in your life. Uh, so that that resource is there, uh, and of course you can download uh, the free uh, first part of my book, which is really I think those first forty or so pages are really the essence of understanding what it is to be your own life CEO doesn't so much have the strategy on how to achieve it, but you'll understand the concept of it. So that's all there. And so I can get that through lifeceo.com or if you can remember my name, drbencavosso.com. Uh, well, I have all those well. details in the show notes. Yeah, cool. I can easily find you. 
Uh, thanks again, Ben. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And, hey, all the best on your 50th birthday running the Melbourne Marathon. Love to hear how you go. Thanks, Jamin. Thanks, Jamin. Yeah, super excited. Look, it, this has been so great. You know, one of the things that, again, I encourage people to do is to hang out with people that champion you, that stretch you, that hold you to a higher standard. Um, and, and, mate, you're one of those people. So thank you. This, this call has been fantastic. So, so good. So thank you. Oh, oh thank you. My, my absolute pleasure. It's been great to connect. Okay, I'll leave the conversation there. You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. If you're interested in finding out more about dealing with your own insecurity, check out the 30-day online Overcoming Insecurity Bootcamp. It combines high-quality frameworks with one-on-one coaching to help you eradicate the fear of not being good enough and give yourself permission to really flourish in life. For more information, check out jamonfraser.com.au.